Welcome to the Experience Podcast here at the Seattle Times. I'm Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. Uh, we're back after a little bit of a hiatus. Yeah, I know I say that all the time. Uh, just a little tough during spring training. Once Larry leaves and trying to get everything kind of put together, um, we have a special section that comes out every year, obviously. I'm sure everybody's kind of seen it. And the last week or so when I actually would have time to do podcasts, I was working on that quite a bit. It comes out, this will this podcast will drop Thursday morning. Uh, it's Wednesday night where I'm recording this now. Uh, it comes out on Thursday morning. It's not exactly what you would call an optimistic piece. It's a lot about uh, the Mariners' postseason or lack thereof. Um, I basically just did a, a very long takeout about the 16-year drought um, of the Seattle Mariners when it comes to the postseason and what went into it and why it has been so long. Because if you think about it, with the resources and you know the TV deal and, and the fan base and all these other things, to go that long without making the postseason, you know, a lot of things have to go wrong. And so I wrote a little bit about that, talked to a lot of people. Um, Larry and I will discuss that in the podcast a little bit later. Uh, but yeah, I just, we're just going to try and figure out how to make this a little bit regular, but with spring training, it just wasn't working right, um, to try and do it. And so hopefully within the season, night, day games, stuff like that, it works a little better. We often record these late at night. So I'm hoping that we can do that. This first podcast, I just talked with Larry for, I don't know how long we had some weird technical difficulties, which you will hear in there. Um, we just kind of previewed the news of the day, which on Wednesday was that Ichiro Suzuki has made the roster. There was some doubt because of a sore calf. We talk a little bit about the opening day lineup, Daniel Vogelbach, all that kind of stuff. And then we get into some predictions. Look, we just ramble sometimes. That's what we do. Uh, and it's kind of funny that way. And I'm sure it probably drives other people crazy, but that's kind of how we do it. So anyways, let's just get into Larry. I appreciate you listening. I promise that it won't be as long of a break as there was this in-between podcast this last time. So let's get to Larry. What are you doing? I, I've missed you. I've had to hang out with Bob Condota a lot. I mean, I missed you too, man. It's just, uh, I mean, the last uh, time we, we, we like shared a moment over Leo's Hawaiian barbecue. Actually, I never made it to Leo's. But, oh, uh, well, I made it. We got takeout one night, yeah. one, one day, but we, we never actually stepped foot in the place. Uh, I am sitting in my office. Uh, we will see each other in person tomorrow for sure at opening day, opening night, actually. I wish it was opening day. The deadline would be a lot better. Yeah. Um, Even if it was like a 3 p.m. start would be a little bit better. But. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, I can't wait. I love the opening of baseball season, and uh, I'm kind of excited. Yeah, it's it's always a good thing. I don't like bunting, and I don't like bunting. I don't like bunting the decorations and bunting <laughs> in general. So, I mean, yeah. I, I try and look at it as just another game, but at the same time, I mean, I've been covering meaningless baseball for about 45 days, so a baseball game that actually counts and matters, I mean, I can get yelled at for the lineup that's being posted, I, I think it's worth it. I mean, if I'm going to get yelled at about a lineup, at least the real one should matter. Exactly, and everyone puts, ex, you know, overemphasizes and and puts unrealistic and uh, emphasis, uh, importance on what happens opening day. To me... The, I've always felt that the second game of the year is is really when the baseball season starts because the the dilettantes and the hangers on uh, who want who are just there because it's opening day are gone and it's the hardcore fifteen thousand who who are at the ballpark and you you settle into the routine of the season and uh, all the hoopla and uh, ceremony is over with and then you you really get into the meat of the season. You go from event to a game. I mean, opening day is an event. Game two is a game. I mean, that's exactly. Yeah. So, except uh, this year, you got to wait 
two days to get to game two, which is ridiculous. Yeah, let's 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 go over that really quick. Uh, all right. Um, so basically, the reason that the Mariners have this is rainout protection. And yes, I know they have a roof. Okay, I know they have a roof, but because of the way the CBA is this year, they are are scheduling things out. Everybody opens on the first day of the year, except for the Reds, which is totally amazing, Larry. Because why is it amazing that the Reds are not opening on opening day because of weather? Because they traditionally would play the first game of the year for as long as I can remember. That was the baseball tradition that the Reds would play one day and then everyone else would play the next day. Yes, and no matter what, the Cincinnati Reds always opened at home, no matter what. They never yeah. opened on the road. Is that because they're like one of the oldest franchises or what? They, they are the oldest franchise, oh. and that was their honor that they got was the first game of the year, and somewhere along the line that fell by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason they're not opening uh. this year on the first day is because um, uh, they have – inclement weather they've already canceled yeah. they've already as it's really kind of not a normal saying but in baseball they've already banged the game because the weather is so <laughs> bad that's what they call it when in baseball yeah. parlance i'm giving you guys a little heads up they call it banging the game when it's canceled absolutely they've called it that for as long as i could remember yeah. and i go back a long long ways yeah back uh, to when they uh, didn't wear helmets <laughs> i remember the original cincinnati red stockings back in uh, 1876 that's <laughs> well, this is when you graduated high school. <laughs> exactly. Larry, you got to take your phone. You're, they're vibrating there. Oh, that's because our stupid thread is Yeah, you got to put there. it in your pocket or something. <laughs> well, it's connected to... to. Uh... Oh, yeah, it's on your eye. Yeah, don't worry about it. We're fine. Yeah, I'll yeah. hold it so it won't vibrate. Um, so anyways, so they have rainout protection for this game. And... Um, basically, if you look at the schedule, every team that opens with a three-game series at home, uh, you know, everybody who has a, the home series three games, they have a rainout protection day. There, there's a couple four-series games that don't have rainout protection, obviously, because they're four games uh, for a game series. Um, and so, I, you know, it, it's just kind of universal. And if you look at it, the Mariners next week – go to Minneapolis and they open in Minneapolis. That's the home opener for the twins. They have that Friday off as well. So it's just a weird deal. The Mariners might've, you know, you get this off day. You could have picked it any day you want, but because the Mariners have Monday off, they couldn't take Sunday off like Easter Sunday. You can't have back-to-back off days and you're not going to give up a Saturday game though. The damn sounders in their night game are forcing us to have a day game on Saturday. So that's not very ideal for me either. Well, I like that again for because I'm going to write off of that game, and I guess, and uh, it, it's always about me, right? Yes, it's all about you. So that's... Well, what I, I I still don't understand though why they couldn't make this a four game series and take away the unnecessary day off for a team that is not going to get rained out, and you know you don't need a day off this early in the season. Uh, no. So. Um. Yeah, well, I guess if you're the Mariners, you probably don't want to play four games against the Cleveland. You'd rather just play three. Yeah, I'm sure there's a good reason for it, but uh, it is a little odd. You're going to see um, some I... ske- scheduling quirks this year because of the off days and stuff and the new CBA that mandates mandates more off days. You're going to just see some weird stuff. It actually kind of helps out the Mariners because Felix is not uh, – at a point where he's going to go deep into the game, even if he's pitching well, because he has he's pitched so little this spring. So they're going to have to use the bullpen. So they have, uh, they can un- unload the bullpen and have another, have a day off to rest uh, and then come back with Paxton on, on Saturday. And, uh, you know, the hope is he'll go deep into the game, but if he doesn't, he'll have more fresh arms. Okay. You got to hold your phone still or set it down. Oh. We'll just tell those idiots not to, to post on the thread. I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'll do the best I can. It's, All right. it, it, apologies to our twelve listeners. listeners. Yeah, our yeah. twelve <laughs> listeners. Um, okay, uh, okay. So we we got through why there's a Friday no Friday game, um, and it's not just so I can go out and hang out and drink beers. Um, let's get into just kind of the news before we get into like our preview stuff. The news of the the day. It's for, we're recording this Wednesday night. 
I went to the workout today, unlike somebody else in this conversation. And uh, Ichiro Suzuki was there. He participated fully. Taylor Motter was not there. He was optioned at Tacoma. Ichiro will be in the starting lineup on Thursday night. Uh, any surprise to you, Larry, that he's not on the disabled list or whatever? Not really. Uh, you know, I thought that they were going to try to find a way to to get him ready, and uh, it didn't seem like the injury was overly uh, serious. But I mean, he's going into this season without having gotten a hit, right? In a in a, other than in minor league backfield games where he was batting every inning and things like that. Uh, what was he? 0 for ten in, in Cactus League games. 0 for ten with five strikeouts, two walks. Yeah, it's not exactly uh, the way you want to go into the season. I mean, it is Ichiro. He he knows how to get hits, but he also is 44 years old, and it just yes, I still kind of raise my eyebrows at this whole thing and wonder how uh, how it's going to work out. And I mean, Gamble is not going to be out too long, right? Uh, no, he took BP today. Looked good. Yeah. So if he's back in two weeks, and Heredia is playing decently. Uh, I mean, the logical play is you you get rid of Ichiro. So we'll see if that's what happens. Logical, yeah. We're not. I don't know if we're dealing with logic because if logic says you wouldn't even assign him in the first place, it is totally like so. On Twitter today, when when Service announced the lineup and we posted it um, that he was gonna that Ichiro was gonna start, there was you know a small uprising of people angry that Guillermo Heredia is not starting over Ichiro in um in this game and i'm thinking to myself like look you know i don't agree that he should be on the team in the first place but if he's there you can start him on open night he's gonna play one of the three games in the series and they're facing three really good right hander to start off with does it really matter i mean in baseball parlance Corey Kluber is going to shove tomorrow regardless of whether Guillermo Heredia is in left field or Ichiro is in left field. So, you know, put them out there for open tonight. There's some pageantry. I don't know that there's a huge difference. Defensively, there might be Heredia can come in as a pinch hitter or even a, a defensive replacement if you need to be. I, I like the people that are up in arms that it's some slight over Ichiro, not starting over Guillermo Heredia. I, I just I don't see the, the need for anger. Yeah, by the way, you've reached your podcast limit of, of the word parlance oh, yeah. twice now. You cannot use Baseball it slang? Do I get to go <laughs> slang? Lingo? You're, you're forbidden. Uh, yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, who, who wants to play against Corey Kluber? You know, that's probably an 0 for 4 uh, on most nights. So you, you start off the season in a, in a hole. If he picks up where he's been the last several years certainly up there in the top five pitchers in baseball, two Cy Youngs, although he stole one from Felix Hernandez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't have a big problem with that, with with Ichiro, with Ichiro starting. But, I mean, as long as he's here and he's going to be – if he's going to play, uh, I have some problems with him being here. But beyond that – uh, yeah, I mean, like, like legitimately, if you're gonna play him once every three days, does it really matter? I mean, like you play the matchups or whatever. Is it allow fans to get a little nostalgic on opening night? Sure, he gets the standing ovation. Get it out of the way. It's not that big of a deal. It's just it's no different than the fans freaking out over whether. And I know we've had this argument. Although I think you were on my side. It was Calkins who was the the moron in all of this. Not to call Matt a moron about that, but. You know, we kind of just said, look, Felix has earned the right. Paxton doesn't really care if he starts an opening night or not. Start him. It's one game. Again, it's bunting. There's bunting on the field. That's all that's the difference. There's bunting on the field. It's not, you know, start Felix. No big deal. Yeah, exactly. I advocated. I mean, I wrote a whole column back in uh, before spring training started that they should uh, they should start Felix. And for pretty much that, that reason, it means a lot to Felix. And it doesn't mean that much to Paxton, so why not feed that at this point in the year, and and hope that he can rise to the moment as he's as he has done so many times on opening day, not the last two years, but uh, uh, what's seven? I think they had won seven in a row or something like that before yeah. before that. So uh, it'll be a it's it's a shame that he got hit by that 
line drive in spring training because um, we're, we're not getting a true test of the, the Felix of 2018, I don't think, because he's just not at that stage yet. He really had a, a, a short spring and and didn't their, their whole plan this year was predicated on him having a full spring for instead of babying him along as they had done in previous years. And as it turned out, they didn't get to do that. So, uh, you know, I don't think what you see tomorrow will be uh, what, what you'll get in a month when he's more in the groove. Uh, my favorite thing about that was when, uh, when Felix was talking about, um, you know, we were asking him about pitching on such a short spring training and not getting much, time on the mound it's kind of a truncated spring training he goes oh, i've done this on purpose before so i'll be fine <laughs> yes you have yeah but uh, that was back when he was uh, the different felix the superman who could just dial it up on opening day and uh, blow everyone away and as we all know that's not the felix that we uh, that we get now one now, more is... one more opening day thing um there was some minor uh, complaints because that's what there is on Twitter. Would you have started Daniel Vogelbach or started Ryan Healy on opening day? Well, you know, I, I was having this conversation with my son of all people. Uh, I like yeah, Larry's son loves me because he's got a bad temper like me and he's prone to irrational arguments like me. We are we're spirit animals, Larry's son Jordan and I. <laughs> yeah, he he listens to you. I know. And unlike his father, sometimes he mostly listens to me. Um, and you know, I kind of think you, I, I kind of think that they should ride Vogelbach right now. Uh, he's hit, he's swinging with such confidence and, and so well, uh, I, I think it might be a little bit of a mistake to, to just let that sit for a while, you know, and lose that momentum and that, that edge that he's that fine edge that he has right now. Um, I think I, I think I, particularly since Healy, uh, was hurt most of the spring and hasn't had that many games. You could make a case that uh, that Vogelbach is more ready right now, and he's. I just love the way I was so impressed with him in the you know, ten days I was in spring training and the way he was swinging, and uh, he completely changed my thinking about him. And I'm just, I just worry about him getting stale. Uh, he's all probably only has two weeks before they need a fifth starter and they have to uh, either call up Miranda or something like that. And uh, they're going to need a roster spot and he would be the logical guy to go if he's not playing. So um, that's my thinking on that. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think he's going to play at least one of the three games, if not, you know, and he may pinch hit at some point too. Um, you know, there, there's still concerns about him defensively. I saw Andrew Romine taking a ton of work at first base today just in preparation, I think, possibly for a game that Vogelbach does start. Or even if you bring Vogelbach in as a pinch hitter and then you get worried late in the game or you have to pinch run for him as well. Um, you know, I think there's that aspect. It is, and, and people are going to probably be irritated but down the road but they they've come out and said look Vogelbach is going or I mean that Ryan Healy is the everyday first baseman that Vogelbach's going to play a little bit I mean service reiterated that today they're going to try and get him a couple starts but he's not going to be an everyday guy uh, or and it's not even going to be a platoon um, so I mean any thoughts on that do you think they should platoon him or do you just yeah you know the, the other side to that is we've all seen guys who have great springs young guys in particular who haven't proven it yet. And then the season starts and, and uh, it's a totally different, you know, that you're facing Corey Kluber and, and those kind of guys. And suddenly that 400 spring average is down as uh, you're a 215 hitter. So um, you, we can't say he's a superstar based on a, a really great spring. Um, but uh, I would play him. I would, yeah, I understand that you brought Healy here to uh, to be the everyday first baseman and uh but he's had a short spring uh Vogelbach has had his was swinging as well as anyone in baseball this spring I would I would I would ride that for a while I mean I I think they should play him a little bit I, we'll see how it works out um 
you know, I hope the kid gets some time. I think he's earned a little bit of time. I understand why they would send him back down. Uh, the one thing is, is Healy also has minor league options too. They backed themselves in a little bit with this, the need to have eight rotation or eight bullpen guys. Uh, and, and that's where they're going to be. And that's why he's going to be out. But, uh, you know, you can't take away what the kid did in spring. I was really impressed with him. I thought his swing looks different. It's not as flat as it used to be. He's elevating the ball. Um, he is hitting pitches. You know, he's more aggressive. He's not looking for one single pitch every at bat. That's got to be just like right down the middle of the plate that he can drive. He's, he's hitting some, some good pitches that aren't great pitches and getting results. So, you know, after that, we'll figure out what they're, they'll figure out what they're going to do. I, 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 I don't think they anticipated this, and I'm sure you didn't either. I don't think they anticipated any way in hell that Daniel Vogelbach was going to hit 407 with like a 520 on base and a 900 slugging percentage in spring. Yeah, yeah, he won the the OPS triple crown. I think. I, I mean, he uh, played a lot too. That's a that that helped him a little bit. Is that he he played a lot? That makes a difference. Yeah. Well, what's really going to be interesting is if, you know, they spot start him in the third game of the series and he goes three for four with a homer. <laughs> and then and then and then you start him two days later and he's two for four with another homer. Then what do you do? You know, and then all of a sudden Erasmo or whoever is uh, they need this uh, uh, fifth starter and you got to cut somebody from the a position player. That That's going to be a heck. See? Either that or we're going to see Wade LeBlanc doing a lot of long bullpens getting ready to go make that spot start. Hello. We interrupt this podcast for technical difficulties. We will resume in one second. Uh, I have no idea where we just cut off at, but we had some technical difficulties. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to blame Operator Air. I don't know who I'm going to blame it on. I'm going to blame it on... We need... We need producer engineer Kevin Kremen to oh, yeah. moder- moderate our uh, our podcast. I would take producer engineer Kevin Shockey if we were actually able to talk to him, but we can't. <laughs> so we were just discussing Dan Vogelbach. We we made it. Um, uh, this guy's. I just got an angry tweet from a guy named Bruce, mad that um, I wasn't positive enough in our spring preview. Which is a good segue. Let's get into the spring preview. Normally, a special section preview is usually gumdrops and rainbows and, you know, optimistic things. And I did write a really optimistic thing about Nelson Cruz on the Sunday before that about his work ethic and his pregame workouts and stuff. Um, but I don't really have any problems with our decision to, to write about the streak of 16 years. Once they went to the the longest streak and of any professional sports. Um, I felt like that's what we needed to do, you know, and I, I know that's something you advocated for when we me, you and I first had lunch about this. And then when we met together, I mean, any regrets on this? No, no. You know, I, uh, I tweeted out earlier today, a bunch of our special sections dating back to 1996, so 22 years, just to it, because it gave a good flavor of the ebb and flow of the Mariners from uh, you know now is the time to times running out and, and you know over the years the various crisis points and new players that 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 led to excitement, including Pokey Reese, who never played a game for the Mariners. But you know we we try and sit down every January or so and and. Just what is the theme of this upcoming season? And and to both of us, it was indisputably the fact that, that this drought had now that was uh, an increasing annoyance, as you put it, like a uh, like a, a hangnail that <laughs> keeps getting infect more and more infected, which was a great analogy. Uh, now it was uh, at, you know front and center with the Buffalo Bills making the NFL playoffs and putting the Mariners as the team in all of for the four pro sports with the longest playoff drought. So yeah, you couldn't just look the other way. You had to hit, uh, you had to address that head on, which you did in your, your uh, great story. Well, thanks. I mean, it was okay. You know, it was long and I felt like I could have written about, I mean, look, the Mariners failures over 16 years, you can write a book on, I mean, the chapter on the handling of Brandon Morrow, uh, a chapter on the history of the draft for Tulitz or for Clement over Tulowitzki, 
all these things if you could ever get the backstory on it, it would be totally amazing you hear all these little whispers of what really went down um you know i i will say this the mariners um for the most part were really good about um you know helping me write it actually i mean they got the people and they knew what i was writing and you know i was able to talk with kevin mather for 20 minutes and i talked with Chuck Armstrong, who happened to be in Peoria for 25, 30 minutes. Jack Sorensic called me back. Uh, I left a message, and uh, and he didn't, uh, uh, you know, he he talked openly. Bill Bovese did not call me back. I've written some relatively disparaging things about Bill, and Bill is also, I know he's talked to you about this, trying to put this in the past. Uh, so I, I texted him a couple times, called him, and, even emailed him. He didn't call me back. Uh, and then actually, of all the people, I, I was trying to get Jerry Depoto, and that just never really worked out. And I don't know if he didn't want to talk about it. You know, I used the quote that you asked him at the uh, pre-spring training lunch where he kind of said, oh, this is not all on us. But I thought the the most instructive thing uh, from it was that Scott Service just came out and said, look, I'll wear it. You know, I'm the manager. I'm the manager of the team right now. This is the team that hasn't made playoffs for 16 years. You can't be afraid of it. I thought that was pretty instructive to hear from him that way. Yeah, yeah, I thought so, too. Um, you know, it's a little easier when you're only responsible for the last two years. You, you know, you can own a, you can own it, but you don't you, you, you're really not owning it because uh, most of it was done before you got there. So and I think it's a little more on the shoulders of the general manager, the one who builds the team. There's a little more pressure on that person, I think. Uh but you're right. It's 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 nobody's fault and it's everybody's fault. Uh, it's it's a cumulative breakdown on so many levels over the years. Bad, bad decisions, bad trades, bad drafts, bad luck. A lot of bad luck. Uh, you know, the the trade. One of the trades that you uh, cited the the when they traded uh, Azdrubal Cabrera and, and Shinsu Chu for. Uh, uh, Perez and uh, Ben Broussard. You know, on paper, that did that. That looked like it was going to be a pretty good trade. The the combined numbers of Broussard and uh, no, that was there were two I mean, separate trades. Yeah, there were two separate trades, but it was it was basically to get a first base, the same first base platoon that the Indians had. The Mariners got, and with the Indians, they hit a combined three sixteen with good power, and with the Mariners, they just did nothing. You know, who knew yeah. that was going to happen? But you did. You that was a case where they were going for it. And at the cost of two good young players, and I can't remember who you quoted as saying that that was a that was just a miscalculation and uh, a bad decision to to do that. To you know, sometimes you 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 have to be realistic about when you're going to go for, it. and that was not a great team uh, that probably was not going to make the playoffs anyway, and you ended up giving away uh, two guys who went on to make the All Star team. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> um... I guess that's the thing is like when you sit down and you look at the enormity of 16 years and and all the decisions that were made over 16 years, it, it just that is, in essence, what the the problem was, is, you know, that there's a bunch of different decisions. And, and in talking with some people about it, I, I guess my my big thing was, is, you know, Bavese and and Zarenzik and in even in a sense Howard Lincoln and Chuck Armstrong they wanted to be good and they just look we want to be a good team but I don't know that they had a plan or a direction of, of how to be good like this will make us good this style of baseball will make us good if you think about it Pat Gillick who was the GM when they made the no no GM is better at putting together a big league roster than, than Pat Killick. Now, your minor league teams will suffer sometimes because of it, but he can put together a big league roster but, but as good as any GM. I don't know that the guys that pers- that followed him could do that, and I don't know that they had an identity about how they wanted to do it either. Yeah, I mean, Gillick, say what you will, oh, he leaves a team uh... – bankrupt in the minor league and he knows when to get out of town and all that stuff but you know he won he won in toronto he won in baltimore he won in seattle and he won in philadelphia and he's in cooperstown i might add and he's in cooperstown he won world series two in toronto and one in philadelphia he won 116 games with seattle couldn't get him over the top but 
I mean, you look back on in 2000 and 2001 when he got here and they signed or traded. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable how he hit on even the little guys, you know, the Arthur Rhodes and the Stan Javier's and the Mark McLemore's were, Mark, just, yeah. were just perfect for the team. You know, Aaron Seeley, uh, Olerud, Boone. It was, uh, it was one hit after another and they've been chasing that ever since. Um, you know, what's, what's, what strikes me is, yeah, it's a million bad decisions, but there's like two or three that if they had just <laughs> imagine if they had just drafted Tulowitzki instead of Clement, just a bad decision one morning. You know, Chuck Armstrong says he woke up that morning and they were their plan was to was to draft Tulo and then they changed their mind. Suddenly you have a cornerstone shortstop. Uh, you don't make the Bedard trade. Suddenly you have a cornerstone shortstop and an all-star center fielder. You know, you uh, Holtzen doesn't get hurt. You have those and you have a, a number one or number two pitcher. You know, just a few of those things. If three of those had not happened, all the other little mistakes wouldn't have been nearly as, as glaring. But when you when you. you you look at them cumulatively with the, those big ones, and then you compound that with the the million little ones. You know, Pineda, you know, Fermentero, and and you know, signing figure. There's just so many of them. Uh, but they could have overcome that if they hadn't made a few of those gigantic ones. Yeah, it's it is true that there are. I mean, you can like there isn't one person but there's a lot of people like i said i just don't think they really knew what they were doing i mean you want to be good and something like with zarenzik i felt like he changed what he felt like was how you win um uh they had you know the one year they had the success with gutierrez and then they go out and get figgins and and then they trade for Kufli, which is a brilliant trade at the time uh, and then they were going to do this whole run prevention thing. And when that didn't work, Jack just kind of became obsessed with getting power hitters, you know, just Mike Morris and, and all these guys. And we're going to Mark Trumbull, we're going to bash him to death. And I, and I don't know that that's consistent. Like, you know, same with their drafts. It's just like you should know what you want to be as a team. And you're just going to have to ride it out, even if sometimes you don't have the personnel to be there. Like, just kind of know that you want to build that. I mean, like with, um, with, the with Depoto, I, I respect that he says they they want to be athletic. You know that's a that's a concept that makes sense to me. Be athletic, be you know versatile. Those are things that are that make sense to me. Be young, although you know getting forty four year old outfielder not so necessarily following that, but those are things that I identify with. I don't know that those other guys before that had that kind of same mentality. No, and I don't. I think neither of them had the courage of their convictions. You're absolutely right. It just they they started chasing whatever the hot thing was. They they abandoned plans and had new plans. Uh, you know, Jack's best trade is still that first trade that he the first trade he made as general manager, where he got Gutierrez and and uh, Jason Vargas and Mike Carp and Ronnie Cedeno and a few others. Um, you know, that was a really good trade. Uh, and then there weren't many, there weren't many good ones after that. Uh, and yeah, he went from defense being the cornerstone to, to just getting slugger after slugger with, it didn't seem like they had, uh, they did have a coherent plan that they stuck with. And, uh, that's that, I mean, look at the Kansas city Royals. They're the classic example of, steadfastly sticking with their plan when everybody was scoffing and, and calling them idiots. And, and they came out on the other side with, uh, with two world series appearances and one world series title. Um, and then the Mariners ha- haven't shown that they're willing to do that. The drafts are bad. I mean, <laughs> they're just bad. You, you know, you have to add some talent in that way. And, and they just haven't done it. And it's it's not just Bob Fontaine who worked for Bill Bavese, and it's not just McNamara who worked for um, Tom McNamara, who worked for Zarenzik, and now we've got um, McNamara still and now Scott Hunter. I mean, you know, the misfortune of, of Holton 
getting hurt when everybody, you know, I was there when I thought he was going to make the rotation. He'd, he'd come back and he'd look strong. And I thought this guy's going to be in the rotation by July of that year instead he was hurt. And then the misfortune of somebody like Kyle Lewis, who you just don't know what you're going to get anymore with him. I mean, that it's, it's, it's a fickle nature, but at the same time, like you said, you can't make mistakes um, like Jeff Clement, or even with how they handled handled Brandon Morrow as well. I mean, you, I, you were right there for that as well, watching them kind of be indeterminate with how they wanted to use Brandon Morrow going forward. Yeah, and look, I, he finally, uh, I mean, last year, suddenly he was on the national stage in the World Series, and uh, you know, I give him credit for persevering through all the stuff that he had to deal with. But uh, yeah, they 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 messed him up big time uh and you know dustin ackley number two overall pick, oh yeah uh it's it, yeah he was as close to a sure thing as you you're gonna find in the draft you know there's not a team in baseball i don't think would have taken would not have taken him after strasburg uh i bet you yeah, the angels would have taken ackley over mike trout if they had the number two pick, that's how, that's how big of a prospect he was coming out of North Carolina. Uh, you wrote a he, ton of words on him. I mean, I did. I talked to a lot of people who thought he was one of the best left-handed bats coming out of uh, college that they'd ever seen. He's like one and, of the most decorated college hitters of all times. Yeah. And you, you remember when he came up for the second half of that first rookie year, uh, he looked great. I mean, he was hitting uh, Cole Hamill's tough lefties. Uh, he put up a pretty good half season, and so and then going into his first full season, the the expectations were through the roof. I remember, I think that was the year they opened in Japan, and and I remember staying up till three in the morning <laughs> so I could watch that game. It started at some crazy time, three or four in the morning, and I think he, I think he got a. He might have homered his first at bat, or he got a an extra base hit. And I remember that this was very early in uh, the tweet world for me. And people were uh, it might about it might have been tweets or it might have been game threads back then. But people were going crazy over Ackley and what that year was going to be like for him. He was going to be a superstar, and it just didn't happen. We'll have to do, we're going to do a whole podcast on that guy because he was one of the more interesting dudes and the failures were, and there was a lot of things that went into it. Um, I really like Dustin Ackley. Too. I do I too. Feel, I feel bad for him. Uh, he, 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 uh, it wasn't for lack of effort and it wasn't for lack of wanting it. He wanted it badly, but he, I think he was his own worst enemy. You know, he's one of those where you, you could do a, a 30 for 30 documentary in 10 years when, when he's more removed from it and can be a little more honest about it. And I'd love to, I'd love to hear what he has to say when he's, uh, you know, has a perspective of being uh, 40 years old and can look back on it all. Big Cormac McCarthy reader, if I recall correctly, a lot of books without pictures, which is not typical in a major league clubhouse. Boy, I can't, I can't imagine there's more than three people in all of the major leagues who even know who Cormac McCarthy is, let alone read him. I think Raul Banyas might be one of them. Although, the one time when Jared Washburn, I was talking to Abanez about a Malcolm, Glad's, or a Malcolm Gladwell book, and Abanez, or Jared Washburn checks in. He's like, I read that. Yeah, I, I was like, okay, well, we're going to have to rethink my thinking about Jared Washburn a little bit there. <laughs> So. Jared Washburn never forgave me for for including him on a list of the five worst free agent signings in Mariners history. <laughs> he was he was as mad as anyone's ever been at me, a ball player. He was furious. Okay, we'll get into the preview of the season real quick. We've been going a little bit, but we'll go simple. Uh, first of all, picks to click and picks to regress. And you know, picks to regress doesn't even really rhyme but who do you got for your picks to click and your picks to regress well i'm gonna go uh, probably with an obvious one on a pick to click uh mike zunino um love the way he finished last year second half after he went down to tacoma looked like a new guy and carried that over this spring and looked really good after a after a a very short, slow start that uh, really wasn't a slow start at all because it was spring training and he was just getting into a groove. But as the spring went on, 
he looked like he was picking right up where he left off. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have him as a pick to click and I, I'm going to go against a lot of what I said this uh, off season and the skepticism I had over Marco Gonzalez and uh, give him a chance to be a breakout guy because he looks like he's healthy and, and throwing really well right now. Uh, he does. He looks good. I mean, that's, Wow! Yeah, you just blew up Marco all off season, and now you're picking him to click. You watch him a little bit, you know. I see how you roll. You know, way to go safe with Zanino, by the way. The guy hit 25 homers last year. It's less, uh, yeah, but he still he still has not put it together for a, for a year, and there's uh, uh, you know he's still a lifetime what 220 hitter or whatever. So, um, you know, he's still got to do it for a year, and I think he will. My uh, pick to click is going to be Corey's brother, Kyle Seeger. And he didn't have a bad season last year, but, you know, he was he had just had droughts, and he wasn't great with runners in scoring position or situationally hitting. I think he'll be better this year. So I'm going to go with Kyle Seeger as my guy that, it, you know, and it's, it's totally absurd, too, that you're kind of like fans are complaining about, like, 268, 27 bombs, and, you know, 90, 85, 90 RBIs, but that's kind of the level he set. So I'm going to go with Kyle Seager having a better year. They definitely need that. My pick to regress, well, I could say Ichiro, but let's <laughs> um, go out on a limb and say that the 44-year-old guy might regress a little bit just because of uh, nature. Now, you know, actually Ichiro has been great. I have no problem with, like, dealing with him or anything like that. Um, I will go... He probably actually listened to this, which is weird, but I just don't know if Nick Vincent can re- can replicate what he was last year. I just don't believe that's possible because he was damn near unhittable for a while, except for when he was playing the Angels. But uh, he would be my one of my picks to regress. And as much as I like him, Mike Leake might be another candidate. I just think that, that the season and the AL West could wear on him a little bit. Yeah, Mike Leake was the one I was going to say as well. Not that, uh, you know, I think he'll be a good workman-like pitcher for them and eat up innings and all that, but I don't think he'll necessarily be the guy that we saw for, the, what, he make six or seven starts and uh, and was uh, and was pitching like, a, like an all-star for him last year. That might be asking a little much. And, you know, he's not even healthy right now, but – Going into the off season, uh, maybe Ben Gamble was a guy that uh, you know he could go either way, and uh, I wasn't convinced yet that he is going to show to be uh, you know an above average major league everyday player. Good thing to the same from Hanniger as well. Yeah. I think I I saw a little more from Hanniger that leads me to believe that he's a, he's still on the rise um, than I did from than I did from Gamble. Okay, we'll go uh, quickly. What is your uh, well, not quickly because we never do anything quickly. What is your record for this year? Uh, you know, usually I you ask for that and you do a long blog post, and so I would have thought of it before now so i'm doing this on the fly because oh, you didn't ask you didn't ask for it how much time. analysis really are you gonna get all right I, i'm gonna go uh i'm gonna go 80 and 82 80 and 82 yeah i almost said 82 and 80 but then i i decided to go a little more pessimistic i was at 82 and 80 and then when david phelps got hurt and i think he's very valuable I am gonna go. God, I had. I think I had. No, I didn't. Do we have to put the record in in the paper? No, no, it's just there. I think you and I both picked him third. Yeah. In the division, um, which is you know, which is where eighty-two and eighty or would would probably end up would be third. I'll go really wishy-washy. I'm gonna go eighty-one and eighty-one. I'll go one more than you. I I thought they could be better than eighty-two and eighty. Because like watching Phelps throw and he had really good velocity, mm-hmm. but then he blew out, and I, they don't have anybody like him. Although, what do we really know about him? Because I we saw him pitch for like eight and two thirds innings. Yeah, that that you had a stat in your story that really struck me: seven and a half million for eight and two thirds yes. innings. That oh man, 
you know, if I were the ones writing the checks, that would just well, drive me crazy. They paid, I think, what, six to Drew Smiley last year. He threw no yeah. innings. So I know it. 13, yeah. like, you know, however many, 13 million to those two guys got eight and two-thirds innings out of them. Yeah, but, I mean, who, how, there's no way of knowing that Phelps was going to have two injuries like that. You just never know with a pitcher. It's such a, it's such a crapshoot. But, you know, that just brings up a point that the, I think the bullpen they thought was going to be a strength going into this season, but suddenly you've lost, you know, Zick, you released. He just, there was something missing this year, uh, a power arm Phelps out for the season. And now you're suddenly, you've got Lawrence and, uh, yeah, and, Nick, and, Le, and LeBlanc in your bullpen, which you never anticipated going into this season. And Nick Rumbelow was actually going to be a guy that they could use. Another him. one. Yeah. yeah. He's still not throwing. I mean, Alta Villa looked good, but yeah, that's, that's why I kind of think that they might not, that bullpen was going to be like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to use this in some ways and it's just not going to be the same. Yeah. The gang of Wolverines or whatever it is, uh, uh, are limping a little bit you know i i well, kind of wrote it pack. the wolf pack okay yeah. <laughs> i like the gang of wolverines better myself it's like from red dawn wolverines <laughs> you've never seen it. it's okay and no i haven't okay. uh what was i gonna say you, you derailed my train of thought uh, you here. wrote something about if stuff went oh, wrong or... oh i yeah no I, I was saying that the, i you can fashion a scenario where this team is pretty good they, they've got a good lineup i like their lineup i think they're going to score a lot of runs you know they got the, the speed at the top they got the power guys in the middle and then you got some some power at the bottom uh, as well with zunino i think hitting eighth uh you know i'm not ichiro at the number nine who knows what what you're going to get from him but they, i think they're going to score some runs uh if felix has a comeback here paxton stays healthy and and Marco uh, breaks breaks out in any way. Suddenly the rotation looks a little bit better, and then, you know, the bullpen. Uh, there are some good arms out there, so there is a. I think there is a pathway to have a pretty good year, but there's also a probably more likely pathway to to trouble that we we don't. It's pretty obvious what what that is. So, uh, uh, I think it's going to be a tough uh, tough going to break that playoff route, uh, streak. I, I just don't see it this year. We'll do quick over-unders. Uh, over-under 27 starts for Felix Hernandez and James Paxton each. Uh, I'll go over for Paxton and under for Felix. Still not buying the Felix thing, huh? Well, I mean, I think he could have 25 starts and have a pretty good year, but to, to go over 26, that uh, I just think at some point there'll be a shutdown for whatever reason. Okay. Uh, over on, I'll probably say, God, I think Paxton's going to go over. You're right. I have questions about Felix. I think he might get right about that, but he seems pretty motivated. You never know. Uh, over under 35 home runs, Nelson Cruz. 35. Uh, I'll go, I'll go under, but just barely under. You know, uh, he's he's getting up there a little bit in years, and uh, uh, that doesn't mean he's going to have a bad year. But I just think, you know, in the low 30s is what he's going to hit this year. Would you do the David or, or the David Ortiz rollover contract for Nelson Cruz? Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, the the emergence of Vogelbach is if there is an emergence of Vogelbach could change that i mean he's a he's a born dh because we've seen him uh play first base you'd rather have him at dh so uh if he develops you know that that could be a possibility as well maybe you trade Cruz at the deadline if you're out of it to a team that wants some some more power i mean that's that's you know there's a lot of guys that could be trade bait if uh if they fall out of it ken davidoff of the New York Post already wrote uh, his 10 predictions for the year. Hey, don't be stealing my next question. Oh, sorry. Number three was, okay. Is I James Paxton going to finish the year with the Mariners? According to Ken Davidoff, the Yankees, yeah. this is the most Yankees thing ever. Because it was like before it was Felix. They just moved from the Venezuelan guy to the Canadian guy. 
Yeah, they think it's their divine right to get every good pitcher. And I love uh, David. I think, he's like the most sardonic and sarcastic dude. He's great. Like, you go have dinner with that guy. He's hilarious. Oh, I know. Yeah. No, I've known him for a long time. I love uh, love the guy. Uh, uh, I, th- I think that, that he will be a Mariner when the season ends. I do, too. I'm curious, actually, if he has a relatively good year. I know it was discussed a little bit this offseason, but, I mean, if, if Paxton shows he can stay healthy, the Mariners might make a run at, at trying to extend him. Um, well, he is a Boris client, right? I'm yeah. almost positive. And the conventional thinking has always been that Boris just doesn't like to do that with his guys. But he did but it with I think the single, a, I think... single best pitcher in all of baseball. Well, not one of the best, but he did it with Steve, Steven Strasburg. They they took an extension. Right. Yeah, and the other thing is, I think Boris watched a lot of his clients uh, hanging in the in the wind <laughs> all all off season with no contract. That you know, he's uh, he, he sees the he's not stupid. I think he sees the trends here, and uh, it's not to lock up to give big money to necessarily to 30 year old pitchers, uh, which is, I think about what Paxton would be by the time he hits free agency. Yeah. So it might, it it might behoove him to, to get the money now, which I think is what uh, a lot of teams are going to try to do is to, to give the money to younger, to younger players rather than when you, the, 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 the days of giving six year contracts to 31 year old pitchers are probably done. Use behoove. You can't use it again. <laughs> that, wait, wait, you got two parlances. I, I get two. One, one behoove is worth two parlances. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I would agree completely. I think, um, like the 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 lay of the land. I mean, also if you're Paxton, and if you think about it, kind of where your free agency could hit could be when they have a labor stoppage. I think you should get your money now. If you can get a, a quality extension, you know, uh, if you, maybe like it's a four-year extension and buy out some of that stuff, yeah, that might be that might be optimal, especially if you don't know if there's going to be a labor stoppage or how the free agent market is going to be treated. Treated. That's the one thing. Like he was such kind of a late bloomer, and it took him so long. His free agency is really extended out, uh, and and I think that's a that's going to be an issue that he's going to have to think about. Yeah, but I think the, on, from the Mariners' point of view, uh, I think they're going to want to see him go a full year. Oh, yeah. And yeah show that he can make the 30 starts before they uh, commit four or five years to him, too. So it's a it's a mutual kind of feeling out process at this point. Yeah, and the one thing is the Mariners don't have any arms like him in their system. Not even close. No, they sure don't. And that's a problem. Okay. Uh, couple. We'll go a couple more over-unders. Uh... Over under eight hundred OPS for Robinson Cano. I'll go over. Uh, I think, you know, he's he's hitting the the he's what is he thirty six now? Uh, thirty five. Uh, I still think he's he's that kind of player that that uh, that can put up an eight hundred OPS in his sleep kind of kind of guy. Um, you know, the decline's going to be slow and gradual and and inevitable, but I don't think he's at a point yet where you have to worry too much about it. Okay. Uh, that's pretty good. We'll, I think we've, we've done enough for now. We'll mess yeah. around. When we go, we'll, we're going to do this in a couple of days, and I'll give you some time to prepare. I'm going to be asking you for your, like, because now I have to do it, the Sunday Baseball page. Back when they used to have two writers and you would write the Sunday Baseball page, I'm going to be asking you for your award winners. So, wow. Okay. So your your MVPs, your Cy Youngs, your Rookie of the Years, um, Manager of the Year, that's that's totally based on who exceeds our expectations, which is kind of an absurd award. But we'll do those. And then I'm going to ask you, we'll do our full season picks for the next podcast. Sounds good. Okay. So – uh anything else as we head into opening day okay wait before we go what is your do you have any favorite opening day moments or memories uh i the one that i flash on is my very first one as a as a journalist 1986 
Uh, Do we want to say said, where I was at? At that point, I was 11. <laughs> yeah, shut up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I was 11, too. They just I, I was just a prodigy. Okay. They hired, oh, yeah. No, uh, I was at the Be- Bellevue Journal American, which no longer exists. And it was a mo- you know, probably the most incredible opening day in Mariners history. Uh, Jim Presley hit a home run in the ninth inning to tie it, and then he hit a home run in the 10th inning to win it. I think one of them might have been a grand slam, but uh, for a guy uh, in his first game, it was it was an incredible deadline challenge. Oh, to, yeah. To, to write that thing with the leads changing and everything, but uh, uh, I remember that one. I remember Richie Sexton hitting, I believe, two home runs in his first game as a Mariner. Uh, and it didn't quite lead to, to, to great things for Richie, but uh, it was a great debut uh, and a lot of good, a lot of great Felix moments um, year after year. Uh, that that was fun as well. But wait, do you have any? No, I don't. Um, I'm trying to think. The one year when we were in Texas, that wasn't the year when Chris Iannetta wanted to fight Tom Williams. That was like the first series of the year, but I don't think it was the first game. No, that was the, that was game number two. That yeah. the first game was, I think Felix. Oh, he walked five allowed, guys. He only allowed one hit, but uh, yeah, he, walked but he walked five guys. Yeah. yeah, and ended up losing. Yeah, I don't um, really have. Oh, probably my my favorite one was two thousand eight when Eric Bedard had to start that. And everybody crowded to his locker post game, and he looked just like a deer in <laughs> headlights. It was amazing. And then it was just awkward because everybody knew his reputation, so nobody wanted to ask questions. And all the like normal beat guys, because I don't remember what happened in the game, we didn't even have to really talk to him. And so we were just kind of watching this all unfold. So that was probably my favorite moment of the <laughs> yeah. yeah, good old Eric Bedard. That was uh... – Talking to him after a game was always an, uh, a tense adventure. Yes, yes, it was. Any predictions for tomorrow's op- or Well, when this airs, it'll be on uh, Thursday. You got any predictions for opening night? Well, let's each row standing ovation. Any yeah. time thing or anything like that? Uh, well, it's kind of hard because they just they don't necessarily stop and let the ovation finish before they introduce the next guy. So uh, I don't think it'll be overly uh, excessive, you know, 30 seconds maybe. What but about when it comes to the plate, though? Yeah. Uh, I'll be I don't long. know. I mean, I, I th- 30 nice, seconds is a long time. I don't, yeah, I don't... it is. Maybe I overdid it. I don't, uh, I don't think it's like when Griffey came back. I just don't uh, because I, I, don't, I don't know if Ichiro had assumed the same place in the sporting heart as as griffey as griffey did i mean it'll be a nice warm greeting but i think people realize that he's 44 years old and that the expectations aren't high and, mm-hmm. and all that uh but here is my prediction i think ichiro will have a big hit in this game <laughs> perhaps even perhaps even the game winning hit how about that yeah, he does have a tendency to rise to the occasion in that way okay yeah uh, I got nothing. I got nothing. Um, I'll probably, we're going to have like 20 people up there. At one point, I'll have a temper tantrum of some sort, um, and I'll get angry about something. That's my prediction. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a, that's a lock right there. That's, a, <laughs> that's the easiest prediction uh, in the in the world. But you have the power to make that happen, too. Yes, so. yes. I'll try that's to. Not, yeah, but I try. Not, not fair. Our boss is going to be there, so I'm going to try and be on good behavior, so. Don't don't throw a chair like one former colleague at the Seattle Times who shall remain nameless once did. Oh wow! Throw a chair! Wow. Okay. <laughs> now I have expectations to live up to at some point. <laughs> Off the air, I'll tell you who. It was. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thanks for talking with us. I will see you in the morning. All right. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, how early are you going to get there? Oh, not that early. Okay. Good. All right. See, see ya. ya. And that'll wrap up this week's Extra Innings Podcast here at the Seattle Times. Really appreciate you listening. Really appreciate your patience as we had that little break in between. Promise that we won't have those anymore. Thanks to Larry Stone for coming on. Always, you know, me and him, we just kind of roll. It's never 
<laughs> very scripted. I wish I could show you the notebook that I have with my notes. It's got um, four, four notes written down and some doodles that I do that look like cocktail glasses. Guess where my mind's at. Thanks, as always, to Midnight Salvage Company, the official house band of the Extra Innings Podcast, for providing all the bumper music and everything else. And thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, if you need to get a hold of me, rdivish at Seattle Times, on Twitter, at Ryan Divish, Facebook page, under my name. You see me there, I look like a big smiling idiot. We will talk to you again in about three or four days. Until then, enjoy opening day, enjoy baseball. There's no better sport than that.